Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. I acknowledge that I broadcast on the unceded stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to the elders of the lands and waterway of which this broadcast reaches. It always was and it always will be. Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined by Thomas Bailey, editor-in-chief of a new literary magazine called Curiouser. It is a new lit journal that focuses on the paranormal and the fantastical with an emphasis on magical realism. Issue one of the new biannual publication is out now. And later on in the show, I'll be sharing a story from All the Best, storytelling program that is created in collaboration with producers from right across this country, uh, from FBI on Gadigal Land, 8CCC on Aranda Country and Triple R and Sin, based here on Wandry and Bunwurrung Land. And today we're going to be hearing a story from 10-year-old Miru. So I hope you can stay with me this afternoon and I'm excited to have my first guest joining me on the line. Curiouser is a new literary journal that focuses on the paranormal, the fantastical, with an emphasis on magical realism. Issue one of the new biannual publication is out now and joining me to speak all about it, I have founder and editor-in-chief Thomas Bailey joining me on the line. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Oh, no worries. Glad to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Thomas, did you want to start with a reading? Uh, I'd love to, actually. It's, the, um, it's called Conversation with Rothko. It's the opening poem that I thought really encapsulated what I was trying to go for with this book. Let's see. Conversation with Rothko by L. Ward Abel. Read. The world is not kind. It's best to realize this. Red doesn't occur in nature. We seek it through our fear of red. Colors are ghosts of bone houses, gone now to seed. Blue. The opposite of windows is the open air. Darkness in the foreground makes alive the western skies. And wind can give texture to things that cannot, will not move. Green. I had wished to hold a moment an aerial view of the counties. Death is peace, water flows uphill, and clocks are not vain. We can count to nothing and start again, or else become the leaves we are. Black. A magnet for vision draws in all eyes, and itself, and sings. One is one, is none, is everything, but even light cannot escape. Unsex the sunset, Take it to the perfect night of prayer. White. Painters have nothing to say anymore. They flood the intersection with bright, bright light. Play God. Make holy the vacant. I walk out of the chapel into a glaring absence of shadow. Yellow. There is no yellow in point of fact. It's only suggested by an empty wit before us. 
Don't offer heat to the cold morning. Add nothing. Remain. Stop your painting. But we are not at home here. Otherwise, we would just breathe. Thank you. That is Thomas Bailey reading from the opening poem of a new literary magazine called Curiosa, called Conversations with Rothko, that one by Al Ward Abel. Um, Thomas, before we kind of dive into the publication, can you tell me a little bit about your background and your interest in the fantastical? Oh, I've always been interested uh, in the fantastical. Um, my earliest memory was when I was a young boy in California, and I was obsessed with uh, Isaac Asimov, and um, I'd, uh, I'd order his, uh, his little uh, Asimov magazine. It was nice. It was a small, tiny little magazine, really thick, sort of wood pulp, and um, I just really enjoyed losing myself, and that's how I got involved with uh, my favorite book, uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. And uh, from there, it was just really getting involved. My mom uh, was a big fan of Stephen King back in the 80s, so I uh, read all the Stephen Kings when I was probably too young to be reading Stephen King. Um, and, uh, yes, that's pretty much how, how, how it's gone, to be honest. And this publication was conceived of last year, obviously a challenging year for many people. Um, can you tell me a little oh. bit about the catalyst for the creation of this? Oh, um, well, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, me and a friend, we worked at a copy at a copy shop in downtown San Jose, and uh, we'd uh, put together little magazines and stuff like that, and just use the copy machines and the stapler machines and all that stuff, and make like little magazines, little zines, so to speak. Um, and one of them, um, I think, it only lasted like two issues. Was called Curiouser and Curiouser, and it just had some stories and artwork and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. We we paid we charged like five bucks for it and uh, just basically stapled A4 kind of thing. And um, that was about it. But I've always wanted to do another book. And um, in uh, the uh, professional writing and editing uh, program at RMIT, I've been learning all the different aspects of putting together books mm-hmm. through various, uh, various anthologies and things. So I thought to myself, well... Why don't I just uh, take a moment and uh, use what uh, I've learned, so to speak? And I thought the uh, I thought the uh, big lockdown that we had was a perfect time to start doing research and uh, figure out how to do it. So I just went ahead and uh, registered the name Curiouser Magazine and um, got started. It's a, Pretty much. Yeah, it's a huge undertaking, particularly in a, a challenging year. You know, we are quite fortunate in this country to have a landscape of, you know, well-read and, and cherished literature, uh, literary magazines. I'm interested in how, when you were conceiving of this idea, how do you see this kind of new publication sitting alongside or among the kind of current literary offerings that uh, we have in this country? Well, um, I focused on... I think the big catalyst as far as uh, wanting to start the book also was uh, reading, uh, rereading Edgar Allan Poe, mm-hmm. particularly his poem, uh, A Dream Within a Dream. And um, I got to thinking, you know, how many um, print magazines are there that focus exclusively on the fantastical? Because um, if you read uh, Killing Your Darlings or Mianjin or uh, Overland, 
um, and things like that. It's like, you know, there are elements of magic realism in those pages, but I don't think there's actually a print magazine that deals exclusively in the genre. Mm. So, um, eh, I, I, I just sort of figured I'd give it a red hot go, see how it works, mm. to be honest. No, I love that. I, I love that. Yeah, it's it's an incredible undertaking. Um, you know, I read that you had an open call out um, for submissions for the kind of first publication. Can you tell me a little uh, bit about yeah. what that experience was like? Well, um, I'd gone through the uh, regular channels here, obviously, you know, Underground Writers, uh, Writers Victoria, um, and the like. And um, I think I was unprepared because I'd also gone through an international writer's resource called Duotrope. And um, basically it just sort of like it ties writers' work to, you know, publications that are looking for stuff that they're writing. And I got nailed. My goodness. I got uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, submissions. And I'm here on my, here on my own, so I had to make the... Uh, very tough editorial decision to just basically say, you know, I can't respond to everybody. So um, simultaneous submissions are welcome, but I can't really respond to everybody. So I only respond to successful submitters. And um, yeah, it took weeks and weeks and weeks. And I had a pretty long, I set myself a pretty long submissions period. It was about two and a half months. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a couple of mistakes that I made, I think, but uh, I'm still going with Duotrope, but uh, I've shortened the submissions period this time out for uh, issue two. Um, hopefully it works. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's not like a it's not like there's much else to do. <laughs> I mean, it obviously speaks to an like a real interest and a hunger for this kind of publication if you are being overwhelmed with um, submissions. So that's, I mean, that's a really amazing sign. You know, I'd love to talk a bit about the collection itself. It, you know, it's quite wide-ranging in some of the themes that it touches on, but, you know, there's magic in there, there's witches, there's superpowers, you know, a real sense of kind of this otherworldly, um, but also at the same time of, of isolation and, you know, I think some things that were really coming up for a lot of people last year. Can you tell me what was the curatorial process like? How did you whittle it down to from all of these submissions that you got and, and how did you choose which ideas would kind of govern this uh, inaugural kind of collection? Well, actually, um, as far as that goes, I think it was a reading a story and something just clicked. It's not necessarily just something I like, um, but it's something that makes me feel like, uh, particularly um, The Seer by uh, Andy McQuiston, uh, sort of a, a surreal take on corporate culture with uh, special people who have special gifts that are used by corporate entities to uh, raise the bottom line. And um, it's about a it's about a man and a daughter just trying to just trying to make it in a very very cruel uh, world, so to speak. And it was stories like that that I read that really had a uh, emotional impact that I thought it would be perfect, to be honest. And then um, once I had about a short list of about I'd say probably around seventy, then I just started whittling it down from there. The so stories that really truly 
spoke to me. And I wanted to, I didn't want it all to have a certain uh, uh, emotional feel, I suppose. I wanted a mix of, you know, the, the sombra to the, uh, to the uplifting, to the funny, to the sad, to the terrifying, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I did a pretty good job. I've read it as a reader, not as an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm able to turn off that switch. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's always a good now time. I have, <laughs> now I just have to follow it up. <laughs> there is a lot of, yeah, as you said, kind of emotional variants throughout these works. I'm interested in, yeah, when you did have to kind of weave together these stories, what were you thinking about in terms of how to structure it? Um, well, um, that poem that I read earlier, Conversation with Rothko, um, when I read that poem, I knew that that's what I was looking for as far as the general theme. Because, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty serious lockdown. I mean, it was, um, it was horrendous for lots of people. Um, and, you know, I have to sort of pay tribute to the fact that, you know, um, I was relatively privileged, uh, but there are people out there who are doing it very rough. Uh, so I had, to, I had to think about, you know, what binds us all together? Uh, what uh, what makes us human, so to speak? Um, and so I thought the first poem, Conversation with Rothko, was a perfect encapsulation, you know, particularly that last line, you know. Um, otherwise, we would just breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, once once that was in place, then I just started focusing on things like, you know, word lengths, about theme, um, trying to make it flow, I suppose. Um, I think I did an okay job. I'll do a better job on the next one. But um, for the most part, I think I was going for flow, so nothing's too jarring. You're not getting, you know, too many poems in a row. You're not getting too many pieces of flash fiction in a row. You're not getting too many longer pieces, so to speak. Um, Yeah. You have uh, you have writers in here that uh, kind of come from all different pockets of the world. I'm interested in when you were receiving these submissions, if you kind of got a collective sense of the different ways in which last year was experienced for people in different parts of the world. Um, mostly in a, mostly in a cover letters I received because um, because I mean I think it was mostly through duo trope that you know I got uh, I got submissions from. All, all corners of the globe, from Asia, from the Pacific Islands to Africa to South America, um, all over the place, and mostly in the cover letters, you get uh, get snippets of you know what life was like, um, things like that. But uh, as far as the stories went itself, I made a conscious decision to um, not have any stories or poems that actually mentioned. Um, COVID or lockdown or anything like that. I thought it was just a little too on the nose, mm-hmm. so to speak. It's... I say so to speak a lot, don't I? <laughs> um. <laughs> if, you, if you have just joined us, we are chatting with Thomas Bailey, who is the founder and editor of a new literary magazine called Curiouser. Thomas, I'm interested, you know, this is the, the first collection of what I believe is going to be a biannual publication. Um, you've got submissions open, I believe, for your next uh, issue. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you're looking 
to do with the with the next one and uh, you know for the project thereafter well um this is a pretty for for the time being anyway this is mostly a um a solo effort well actually it is a solo effort um but um i'm looking for pretty much pretty much the same i'm not going to uh really change what it is i'm looking for so to speak but um i am going to i think put more of a focus on uh australian writers um i didn't get too many uh submissions from australians most of the australian submissions came in in the last week of the submissions period but uh, i'm heartened to say that um getting much more uh, much more australian submitters this time out um and maybe focusing a little bit more on short fiction i think as opposed to more uh poetry but um i think it just remains the same that you know there's there's a lot of storytellers out there um and they have stories to tell and i think that i don't know i'd i'd like to be a conduit for them mm. Well, if anyone's listening and they do want to find out more information, they can head over to curiousmag.com to find out more about this issue um, and the submission process. Thomas Bailey, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, thank you so much, Beth. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure. Uh, founder and editor of Curious Magazine, Thomas Bailey there. You can pick up a copy in all good bookstores. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. And this next story comes from All the Best, a show where emerging Australian storytellers learn how to make audio stories. It is a weekly podcast and community radio program produced from FBI in Sydney in association with 8 C in Alice Springs and Sin Media and Triple R here in uh, Melbourne. This next story comes from an episode uh, from one of their latest episodes called Quest for Knowledge. We look at learning as a way to upskill, to earn more, to improve ourselves. And this week we hear a story about the joys of learning for learning's sake. Uh, in this one, Mal take, talks to her 10-year-old nephew, Miru, about Canton, a South Pacific island that he's captivated by and the surprising things he's learnt through his curiosity. Last summer, I spent some time on the coast with my family. My brother Matt was rushing to meet a deadline for the publication of his fourth children's book. My 10-year-old nephew Miro has his own little desk in my brother's studio space. He is often involved in Matt's creative projects, sitting in on meetings with designers and editors, taking notes and offering advice in his gentle, serious way. His aesthetic sense and attention to detail is incredible. But when I was up there last, Miro wasn't doing much collaborating. He was spending hours at his desk every day, engrossed in his own project that neither Matt nor anyone else in the family had anything to do with. He had been looking through this big old atlas from the 80s and had become obsessed with this tiny island in the central Pacific Ocean called Canton. He taught himself how to use InDesign and decided to write and illustrate a book about it. 
He even had a Zoom call with an Oxford professor. So, lacking my own creative project, I decided to turn on the microphone and interview him about it. It's a really small island and it's kind of like a a triangular shape with a road circumnavigating it. It's important to note that this interview was not premeditated. Almost every question I asked him, he had an answer for straight off the bat. It's like a big ring of land, right? And then there's a lagoon in the middle of it. Correct. Which is a really unusual shape for an island, I suppose. Mm, Not exactly. Lots of islands in the Pacific are atolls, which is that sort of shape, which are formed from volcanoes which sink into the ground and coral grows around. Ah. Wow, that's so interesting. I never even knew what an atoll was before this. Mm, yeah, neither did I until I discovered this island. Mm. So, so Kiribati is the name of the archipelago? Is that what you would call it? Well, Kiribati is the country. Right. Then there's three groups. One's called the Phoenix Islands, one's called the Gilbert Islands, and the last one is the Lion Islands. And which one is Canton then? That one is in the Phoenix Islands. Well, actually, Canton is a colonial name. The um, residents of the island named it Abariringa. Ah, okay, right. What I love the most about his research is that it's so conscious. He makes important connections between small, obscure histories and wider political ideas. After we looked at the atlas, he opened up his laptop to show me his book. What events have you got on the timeline so far? So far I've only got two, Uh which is the Austronesian people inhabited the Kiribati Islands. 3000 BC to 1300 AD. Yes. So these are the first people that inhabited the islands. Yeah, called right. Austronesian people. And then 1850 AD. The British laid claim on some of the Phoenix Islands. Okay. And I'm also working on a colonization page. How the British went to New Zealand and tricked students into being colonizers, not telling them what the real point of colonizing the atolls was, really? which was an army base. <gasps> for staging attacks on the rest of Kiribati. So what, they pretended that it was like a research mission or something, did they? What, what mm, were, how did I they actually the don't know. I haven't really done much research into this. Yeah, okay. But when, when World War II reached the islands, mm-hmm. they were told to evacuate and were told the true purpose. Really? So their army base wasn't successful. Yeah, right. It sounds like there's a really interesting story there, though. I'm excited to hear about it once you find out. Yeah. And has it got independence now? It has got independence to the country of Kiribati, but the original owners, the Kiribati people, do not own it. After he'd given me a thorough half-hour rundown of Canton and Kiribati, I asked him if there was anything that we missed. Well, actually, I do have another thing I want to talk about, which is climate change. In 2030, it's predicted that some of the atolls and islands in Kiribati will be completely submerged, which is quite a quite tragic mm. because it's a really amazing place. There's so many reefs. It's like the only place which has still got such an abundance of fish and animals. Mm-hmm. But recently, 
the people have started to have to turn away from their from their diet of fish and start to get imported goods like ramen and Nutri-Grain and other really terrible sugary foods from Australia. Okay. Now, I know every auntie thinks their nephew is the best, but talking to Miro made me appreciate the joy of learning through the eyes of a child and that way that research has of expanding ever outward and connecting you to time and space. More than that, though, his sensitivity, his awareness of colonialism and insistence on pushing the climate crisis onto the agenda of our interview just filled me with pride and hope. They would often let um, poaching boats into the area and let them just take away all of the white tip sharks, which are species of sharks that live in the area. Because th- these are a really amazing species. So they're, they're really tame, like you can... You can swim right up to them and they won't do a thing. Oh, so they're probably easy to catch too, right, if they're... They are, yeah. Oh, that's really sad. Mm. But are they protected now or are they, they are still being fished? because most of them are in the Phoenix Islands. Okay. Which is now an illegal fishing place. Okay. Except for the inhabitants. Okay. Which are really careful with their fishing. Yeah. Because they know what's, what happens with the big trawl fishing. I stayed over Christmas, and without consulting one another, Miro's mum, dad and nana all ordered him special stamps from Kiribati as a present. I bought him a hammock. Perhaps I recognised the self-punitive work ethic of the Chun family rising up in him already, and I was hoping that he'd take a break. It's unlikely, though. You're listening to Triple R. That was Miru's project. Uh, It was produced by Mel Chun with sound design from Ben Cannings. And it just makes me so hopeful for the future. Uh, This next generation are just so smart and engaged. It's awesome. Uh, You can check out All the Best wherever you get your podcasts from. If you would like to be involved in All the Best, they are currently accepting their winter pitches. Um, It is a show that is collaboratively made from a whole bunch of community radio stations. You can head to allthebestradio.com to find out a little bit more about it. And that is just about all we have time for today on The Glass House. Thank you for keeping me company for the last little while. I want to say big thanks to editor Thomas Bailey for joining me this afternoon to chat about his new lit mag called Curiouser. Hope you can keep it locked to Triple R and stay safe out there, Melbourne. We got this. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.